Hear the word of the Lord in John chapter 6, starting in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good morning and welcome. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I've been spending a lot of time in between sort of Shawnee and a little bit over here in Olathe. I've been in a season of transition. But we have a new campus pastor at our Shawnee campus. So just a quick update there. Very excited to welcome uh, Paul and Ashley. You mentioned him a while back. That's him and his boys and his wife. Uh, so excited. Uh, today is actually his uh, first Sunday preaching officially in that role at the Shawnee campus. And so in a moment, we want to we wanna pray uh, for them. And uh, yeah, it's just sort of welcome them into our church family, right? We're one church across our city. Uh, and so it's a, it's a delightful thing. I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth uh, in between campuses to help him uh, settle in. Uh, but we're just we're really excited about what God is, is doing. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for Paul and for his family. We just pray for joy as they transition into this place. God, I pray that even as he preaches uh, now at the Shawnee campus, Lord, I pray that he would feel your pleasure uh, and know the fruit that comes um, through proclaiming your word. I pray for uh, his family. I pray for the Shawnee congregation and staff, for the community there as well. God, we long to be a place in, in all across our city that transforms lives for the good the goodness of Jesus. And God, we just we pray now for us as we come to your word. God, we come um, thirsty, uh, longing for you to speak. And so we ask that you would do that through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What's the worst storm you've ever been in? I mean, we had those tornado sirens a couple weeks ago, which probably most of us slept through. Thankfully, that turned out to be, turned out to be nothing, right? No big deal. Uh, we, the storm before that, we lost a huge, massive tree right in our front yard. We've got a picture of that. Glad it fell that direction and not on the house. Um, it's quite a mess. Uh, still cleaning it up. I'm sore uh, today. It's a lot of work, right? Uh, but when I talked to Kelly, though, and asked her uh, what was the, the worst storm that we remember, we both had the same one in mind. The worst one for us uh, that we've, we've experienced personally was at a tiny little campground in, in Iowa, right along the Missouri River. And the four of us, we were in a tent, not sleeping, as you can imagine, as this like unbelievable storm just raged through the area. Like the, the, the wind and the lightning, the thunder, the rain. I mean, I, I, just, I held on to the poles of the tent just hoping that they wouldn't snap and that I wouldn't get struck by lightning, right? Because we knew, like, there's, there's like three options in that moment. This is what it felt like. Is one, we're going to go airborne, uh, and we're going to, you know, leave this world Dorothy style. Uh, or a tree is going to fall on us and just crush us slowly to death. Uh, or the river, which we're right by, is going to rise and just sweep us right away to the big campground in the sky, right? I mean, it's terrifying. We woke up and there were branches down everywhere. It was absolutely horrifying. And I'm sure you have your own 
You have your own story, right? Storms can be scary. Like, what is the worst storm that you've ever been in? Go back to that place mentally for a moment. And now, like, put yourself in that storm, but on a boat. Like, uh, no thank you? Right. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mean, did you hear about the, uh, the cruise boat that almost tipped over a couple years ago? I've got to, yeah, let's watch. Wait for it, wait for it. You know they lost at least one star on TripAdvisor uh, with that one. Right? Can you, like, can you, yeah, yeah, I had you see that. Like, makes you want to throw up, doesn't it? Can you just imagine being, like, storms can be pretty scary, right? It can be pretty over, overwhelming. Now, now, do the same exercise, but do this all, you know, like, in that storm, on a boat, but do it in the ancient world. So there's no, there's no radar, uh, no GPS, no stabilizers, no helicopter ready there to, to save you if you fall overboard. Like, just imagine what that experience was like. Just simple boats, big seas, and nasty storms. It's no wonder that back then, in the ancient world, uh, the sea was regularly used even as a metaphor for all that's chaotic and broken in our world. It's, it's, it comes out often, and even, even throughout the, the scriptures, the sea is this, this place of, of unpredictable, overwhelming chaos and darkness. It was considered the ultimate unknown. And the sea at night, in the dark, during, during a storm, Without Jesus, the chaos would have been overwhelming. Now, of course, this isn't the ancient world. We don't live there, and we have those nice things. And so we're maybe not quite as, quite as overwhelmed by, by storms and by seas, although watching that boat makes me wonder, right? They're still a little scary, right? But we feel a little bit safer, right? We're not, we're not as worried about it. But chaos? Like again, the sea as a picture of chaos. Chaos. Anybody else like, feeling it right now? Just look around. Like, look around the world. Look at the news. Look inside. Look at what's going on in our, in our families, our homes, our community. Across. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming, isn't it? There's chaos everywhere. And the chaos fatigue that comes with it. This chronic, I think many of us have this, like, chronic, at least, like, low-grade anxiety right now. Or fear, worry, even anger that can sometimes come out of that. Like, we feel all of these things. And sometimes it feels like it's just the air that we breathe right now, and chaos is literally crushing us. So friends, what, what do we do? How do we survive the chaos? Well, if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We heard it read just a moment ago. If we go back to the last story quickly, though, you have to, the context is really, really important here. Uh, Jesus had just fed, if you were here last week, he fed like thousands of people basically with some kid's Lunchable, right? Uh, he multiplied the, the bread and everybody ate and was full and it was, it was this beautiful thing. Uh, but this was like, it was more than just that because like this was in the wilderness and the people, they recognized this was like a, a miracle like Moses, Right? They knew the stories. This is, this is like bread from heaven kind of thing, the manna stuff with, with Moses that, that, that God did in, in the wilderness. And so this is a big deal, and the crowds recognize it, and they see there's something unique about Jesus, and they want to make him king right there. It's like they recognize him for who he is, like, this guy can make bread. Uh, let's make him our king, right? Let's, let's do that right now. And so that, that comes in that last story. But what, what happens? Verse, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, 
They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I just think about this, like, who does that? This is, this is like, you know, the star athlete just about to be crowned MVP, but sneaking off into the locker room before it can happen, right? So nobody sees. It's like a politician about to receive the nomination, but, but slipping out the back door, right? Like, who does that? Jesus, right? Jesus does. Because he knows. His path to king requires a cross, in fact, if you go back earlier in John to the temptation, right? Some of you might remember that story, right? It's Jesus, 40 days fasting in the wilderness, Satan comes to him, and this is one of the temptations that he brings to Jesus. Like, I can, if you worship me, I can make you king without the cross. And Jesus said no. But now he's, he's faced with the same temptation, right? The crowds are coming to him, wanting to make him king, and so he resists, he flees again to the wilderness, a place that has been and is for Jesus, a place of, of strength and resistance. He flees to the wilderness, a mountain, to find the strength to resist again. But that leaves the disciples alone. And so they, they get in a boat to head across the Sea of Galilee. Alone. But like These are fishermen, at least four of them are. Right, including John, right? John who's writing this down. John, he remembers this. Right? He's writing down what he remembers happening. He saw it, he experienced it. And these, these fishermen, they'd grown up in the water. They knew how to handle a boat. They'd seen every storm. And yet there's something different in this story. Verse 16. When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, there, there are a couple things that are happening here that as modern, modern readers we tend to miss. Uh, first of all is that when John uses the word dark or night all throughout his writings, he typically means more than just darkness. Like, yes, it's literally dark, but, but almost always when he uses that imagery, it's, it's more than just literal darkness. It's, it's like spiritual darkness. It's like scary darkness, you know, stranger things kind of darkness, right? That's, so when you read that, it's like, this is like, you hear like spooky music, right? Something scary is happening. Something dark is happening. And again, as I mentioned at the start, like the sea was considered a place of chaos, of unpredictability, right? It was dangerous. And this, this you, can, you can see this all throughout the scriptures, even in the, the second verse of the Bible. So you go, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, when, when uh, it, the words are used like, to describe this event as God creates the world. Listen, listen to the second verse. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So, like, in the ancient world, this is why this is important, in the ancient world, like, this is how you describe, like, the unordered chaos, uh, like, the, the abyss, right? Darkness and watery depths, right? A world without God's ordering, life-giving presence. And this is why, actually, when you get to Revelation, at the end of the story, also written by John, like, this picture of the new creation, like, there's no sea. And it's not because God hates the beach, Right? It's like puzzling when you read that, but if you understand what John is saying, is that there's no chaos. 
Like the chaos is gone, that we are moving towards a world without chaos, right? Are you following that? So when when John is using those images of darkness and sea, they're literal. It's happening here in this story, but it's more than that. It's bigger than that. But right now, we're on this boat in the dark and chaotic waters. It's ominous already. And John tells us they'd they'd already rowed about three or four miles. I love love that he has that detail in there, which, depending on how they're they're crossing, would would have been at the widest point, they'd be right smack in the middle of the sea. They've been at it for a long time. And a storm rolls in. In verse 18, it says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And my mind goes back to that cruise ship. And like, I want to get off the boat. But if they are right there in the middle, either way, they've got a long ways to go, right? They're in the middle of the water. And if that's not terrifying enough, off in the distance, they see someone or something coming towards them, walking on the water. And Matthew and Mark says that they thought it was a ghost, right? Or like maybe some sea monster, but like whatever it is, it's it's not good, right? It's ominous. In verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. I love thinking about this from Jesus' perspective, because it means that he had to walk like three or four miles in the water to get there. So we don't really think of that. That's a long walk, right? Especially on the water. I don't know what the average pace on water is. Um, Especially, I guess it was hilly because of the storms. I mean, it's long, right? So Jesus has been at it for a while. He's catching up with them. And they don't recognize him. In their terror, they don't realize that it's Jesus. Why not? I mean, probably for obvious reasons to some extent. Like, well, who would expect somebody to come out on the water, right? Uh, plus it's dark and stormy and all, all of that. But I love, I love what scholar Herman Ritterboss, what he adds, how he adds, answers that question. He says, why don't they recognize him? Because they had never learned to know Jesus in that way. And thus, in that place, in horrendous situation, had not expected him at all. They didn't recognize him because they weren't expecting him. And again, I, I don't blame them at all, right? I mean, who would expect Jesus to walk on water? They hadn't yet learned to know him in that way. That really struck me, church, as I thought about that this week, because we have learned to know Jesus in that way. Right? We have these stories. We've read them. Some of us have heard them a thousand times, right? We, we've, learned, we've learned to expect this of Jesus. We know what he's capable of. And yet, here we are in the chaos of our world. The storm's raging all around us and within us. But do we expect him? Do we we expect Jesus to walk right up in the middle of it all? That's, That's the question, really, that's been haunting me this week. Where should I be expecting Jesus right now? Where should you be expecting Jesus right now? And I want you to actually like, answer that question mentally. Like, think about that for a moment. Where, where is the place in your life of most chaos, uh, of most sort of unknown, unpredictability, or, or just like, causes you to fret, keeps you awake at night? A place of greatest darkness and fear. 
And just ask yourself, am I expecting Jesus to show up there? To join you there? Because the, the storm is not the danger, actually, in this story. I know it feels like a danger, right? Uh, and whatever the chaos is in your life and mind, it often, it often feels like the danger, but the, the danger in this story is not the storm. In fact, Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers way back in the 5th century, uh, he, put it, he put it something like this. He said, the danger is not the storm. The real danger is that Jesus is not yet with them. I mean, John says that, right? It's like he's not yet with them. They're alone. Like, storms happen. Chaos is real. Our world is full of it. Our hearts are even fuller of it. And Jesus allows this storm just as he allows the ones in your life and mine. The tragedy here is not the storm. The tragedy is being alone in the storm. And so when I, when I ask that question, where should you be expecting Jesus? Don't, don't translate that. Like, where should you be expecting Jesus to fix your problems? Uh, like, where should I expect him to make my life a little more comfortable or go back to the way things are to give you ease or wh- whatever it is that we often long to? The question, that's not the question. The question I'm asking is, where do you expect him to join you? in the midst of the storm. Because that's, that's what he does right here. So go, go back to the story. The storm is raging. The sea feels out of control. The darkness is overwhelming. And then they see someone walking towards them. And they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. But it's so interesting to me that John, John says nothing here about Jesus calming the storm. Isn't that interesting? Like in Matthew and Mark, they both both highlight that the water's calm. John John doesn't say that, right? He, He was in the boat. Certainly he remembers what happened. But apparently that's not the most important thing for John. That's not what John wants us to remember. He wants us to remember that the most important thing Jesus can do in the chaos is to join us. That the most important thing that he can say, that we need for him to say, is it's me, I'm here. Whether the storm rages or not, whether the chaos ever stops, I am with you. Which leads to the second question that I've been wrestling with. What do you need to hear from Jesus right now? Like, if, if you could have him say anything to you right now, what would it be? Because I don't, I don't need to hear him say that COVID has passed us and we'll never fight about masks again. I'd like to hear him say that. I don't need to hear him say that. I don't, I don't need to hear him say that all of our retirement funds, if you have one, are going to bounce back, right? And that inflation is almost over. I don't, I don't even say who's going to win the next election. But I don't have to be afraid of Russia or China or North Korea. I'd love to hear him say that. I don't need to hear him say that. I don't, I don't even need to hear him say, Nathan, you and Kelly, you guys are going to get to grow old together. You're going to weather the storms and it's, it's going to work out just great. You're going to make it long into life. I'd like to hear him say that. I'd like to hear him say, Nathan, your kids are going to turn out just fine. Stop worrying so much. They're going to turn out. I, I would love to hear that, people. Wouldn't you? 
I don't, I don't need to hear him say that Christ's community is going to be fine, right? It's going to be fine long into the future, no matter what, that God's got his, his church, right? I, I want to hear those things. There are times when I feel desperate to hear those things, but I just I ache for those things. But what I need to hear most is, Nathan, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I'm here. I see the storms. I know that you're afraid. But I will not walk out on you. I'm not going anywhere. And this, this means so much to me for two reasons in particular. Two reasons. I think this is important for us. Because it's, it's not just anybody who shows up here, right? I mean, it's not like you're on a boat in the storm and your, your friend Ron shows up, right? It's like, hey, don't be afraid. It's like, no, actually, I'm more afraid uh, that you're here. Like, like that's, not, that's not it, right? This is, this is different than that. Because there's two things that make this different. One is theological and one is relational. Both are important. Theologically, and scholars point this out, when Jesus says, it is I. It's the same language for I am. And John does this about seven or eight times, records these seven or eight times, these I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus says I am. Why is that important? Well, I am, that's the, that's the Old Testament name for God. That's Yahweh. So when, when God shows up to Moses in the burning bush, he's like, who should I say is like here? He's like, well, tell them that I am is here. Like, that's the name God gives himself, Yahweh, I am. I am who I am, right? That's a big deal. Now, there's a debate on exactly what's going on here, but we already said in the the preceding story, the crowds recognize Jesus as somebody like Moses, right? Somebody who can provide bed. Somebody who, like Moses, heads off to the wilderness, right? Who spends time on a mountain. So that's what's going on in the, the early readers' minds. But here's where Moses and Jesus are so different. Moses parts the Red Sea. It's pretty cool. I would have loved to have seen that, right? Joshua does something similar. So do Elijah and Elisha. These are like some of the big names of the Old Testament, right? They all do that. They all part the waters. There's only one who can walk on top of them. There's only one who can take the chaos. Remember, that's the sea, right? The sea is more than just the sea. Who can take all of the chaos and put it under his feet. They, they, may, they may part the waters, right? But only Jesus rules over them. And so whatever it is, all of the chaos, it is under, it is under his feet. He's in charge, Only he can do that. And so what Jesus does and says here is more than just your friend Ron showing up. I am is here. God himself who rules over all of the chaos. That's the theological reason. The relational reason is that there's nothing we fear more than being alone. I mean, if we're completely honest, right? Like being alone, alone. In fact, when, when Kurt Thompson was here with us last year, he talked about how when you ask somebody what their greatest fears are, typically we go to events, right? We say, well, failure or you know, death of a spouse or you know, a loved one, a kid, uh, getting really, really sick or losing a job, and we have these sort of these lists, these events. But what he points out is that what we're really afraid of in those moments is not the events themselves, it's the way we'll feel if those events happen. Like, it's the emotions that, that will inevitably come in those spaces, and, and, and we, we're afraid that there'll be nobody else to carry those emotions with us, and that we'll just drown, that they'll be too overwhelming, that nothing can rescue us out of that, that we'll be utterly, utterly alone. And what that fear tells us, he says, is that most of us feel alone right now, because that's what we expect. When the junk happens, I'm going to have to carry it by myself, and I'm going to drown in the midst of it. It's going to kill me. 
We fear those things because we're so lonely. But Jesus, the great I am, says, I'm here. And the one who walks on water will not let you drown because he is closer than the chaos. His presence with you is stronger than the chaos around you. His presence within you through his spirit is stronger than the chaos within you because Jesus entered the chaos for you. This is the gospel. This is why Jesus came, why he died, and why he lives, to rescue us so that he can be with us in the chaos and to get us through to the other side where he can be with us forever. Scarlett Hiltabittle, in her brilliant and funny book, Afraid of All the Things, Tornadoes, Cancer, Adoption, and Other Stuff You Need the Gospel For. I love the title. Listen to what she writes. She says, the gospel tells me I can't fix myself. The gospel tells me I can't protect myself. For the gospel tells me I can rest, knowing that Jesus walked into this broken, sad, scary place to rescue me and love me and cast out my fear. And he did, and he does, and he will. Of course, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm thinking it too. It's like, man, that sounds great. Jesus is with me. Yay. Like an imaginary friend, right? It feels, feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Like, I, I wish I could feel his presence. Like, I, I'm, I'm listening, right? But the storm is so loud. I, it's so hard to hear his voice, isn't it? You're not alone if you, if you feel that way. Or maybe others, others of you, you just forget to remember that he's there, right? And you keep charging into the chaos alone, and you're absolutely depleted. You're so exhausted. I, I get that, too. Remember how the story started? I love that it begins with Jesus going to the mountain to pray. A place for him that was a place of strength, a place of resistance, a place where he could be with his father. I mean, is it, is it possible that the Son of God also longed for those places where he could fear, hear the Father whispering to him, I am with you. You're not alone. Church, if that was true of Jesus, how much more for us? We need those places. We struggle to hear his voice. And there are two places in particular where we hear it loudest, where I hear it loudest. One is his word. He's, he said a lot to us already. These, these words are for us. And if you feel isolated and alone, you need to spend time here. Maybe start with the Psalms, maybe the Gospels, a place to, to hear God's voice. He is speaking to you. That's the first one. And also we need, we need his people. Like sometimes the noise is so loud that we, we can't even really hear here. Like we need to hear through God's spirit, through other people speaking on behalf of us. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you ever had this experience where it's like somebody, you read something in the Bible or you know something is true, but then you hear somebody else that you trust say that to you and it just, there's something that happens in those moments. We need that. And so here's how I want us to end. And it's gonna get weird for a minute. Sorry. Um, but just hang with me. I want you to close your eyes. I know, I know, it's weird. Just close your eyes. Do it. And I want you to get in that place, like that chaotic place. Whatever that is, wherever, wherever you feel it most, imagine the chaos swirling around you. There's, and there's no place too ordinary, uh, too hard, too messy, or too profane. Maybe it's a relationship, your cubicle, doctor's visit, like see it, feel the storm.
And now I want you to hear these words. As you imagine yourself in that place, Jesus saying to you, not, not collectively, but to you individually, looking you in the eyes, Jesus says to you, I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus, we thank you for those words. We thank you that you are closer than the chaos. That you long to join us in every storm. And that you are stronger still. That you promise to never leave your children. That you will never walk out on us. You'll never turn your back on us. But that you are always walking towards us, even if you have to cross a stormy sea to get there. And Jesus, we thank you for conquering the chaos, even, even though we don't feel it right now. We thank you that that has already happened ultimately through your death and resurrection, that it is all under your feet. And that one day it'll be no more. But in the meantime, here we are. And so may we hear your voice. And may we believe deep within our bones when you say to us, I am here, do not be afraid. We believe you, Jesus. And we love you too. Amen.